Solomon was the wisest king who ever lived, according to the Bible. And he was wrong from the beginning. Now, what am I talking about? We'll talk about that in 1 Kings chapter 11. We'll explore that and see it in just a moment. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this program is Bible Discovery TV, discovering the Bible, learning what God said and what God did. Also helping us today is Corey and Ryan. Corey is here. Corey? I'm going to be talking about the temple and why it was set up and decorated in the way that it was. Ryan? Well, in today's reading, God raises up adversaries against King Solomon for his rebellion. And my segment today is all about that. Adversaries. That's really interesting, Ryan. Very good. Okay, Janice? Today, slow fade. Okay, slow fade. Sounds good. All of this is great. Now, take your Bible guide out. If you don't have one, why not? You need to get one. The Bible guide. We'll show you how in a minute. But let's open up the most important book of all, which is the Bible, and listen to God. First Kings 11, 1 through 13. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he had seven hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this, and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom, I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. First Kings chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. We continue to go fast through the Bible, but at the same time we stop. 
And today we're going to be focused on 13 verses from 1 Kings chapter 11. The King Solomon. He is mostly remembered for his great wisdom. However, the Bible also tells us the unfortunate truth about the end of his life. While he started out great, Solomon quickly began prioritizing the wrong things. He chose his human relationships over his relationship with the eternal God. Like most things in life, living for God can start out well, and in most cases, with a lot of joy and energy. But it's how that living matures and ages. That's what matters. How will we run the race? How will we end the race? Though Solomon was privileged with the time and the reign of peace, he still did not manage to keep his heart geared towards God. 1 Kings chapter 11 reports that Solomon strayed from God by prioritizing his many wives. He built them temples to their many gods. He built them in Israel and even offered sacrifices himself. Now, Jesus Christ taught that unless the Lord is first in our lives, we are not truly committed to him. He must be the only priority. Very, very important. Now, take your Bible guide, and if you don't have a Bible guide, simply call us or write to us. If you call us, it'll go faster than writing. If you, if you uh, go on Bible Discovery TV, you're seconds away from joining us in the failure of Solomon. Uh, that's the name of the, the study we're going to do today as we look at 1 Kings chapter 11. So the Bible guide is for you. So go on Bible Discovery TV and uh, you can click on this. And when you click on it, it takes you to a page and uh, you can download it exactly how we printed it. Father, I pray today that we would see this. And I pray today, Lord, there will be people who watch this and see this program. And I pray that you would show us your way and teach us your path. We're not trying to change the word. We're trying to make help the word to change our hearts. And we can only do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. So help us today. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. And we all said together, amen. First Kings chapter 11. Let's look at verse one. This is interesting. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. Well, that's a problem right there. As well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, women of the Ammonites, women of the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Hmm. Solomon violated the words of God from the beginning. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that. You see, unless we seek to follow the Lord of the Bible, we'll fail. Now listen carefully. If the Bible were a book of propaganda, it wouldn't tell you the faults and the flaws of the great kings. Most people remember Solomon as the wisest king who ever lived, but he was humanly wise. But he was not wise when it came to God. Beloved, we need to hear that. We need to be spiritually wise not just humanly wise. We need to come to God and say, Lord, I need to, to know you spiritually and I need to be dedicated to you wholly. So help me, Lord. 
as I move forward, as I take each step every day in every way, I want to follow you. Help me to do that. Now, it's very easy for us to become distracted on social media with people or places or heroes. You know, we go to concerts and we cry and worship people. What are we doing? We need to worship only the Lord. Very important. All right, let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 11 and read more. Verse 3 says, and he had, oh my goodness, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Are you kidding me? And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Verse 5 says, For Solomon went after Ashtora, the goddess of the Sidonians, after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Now this is fascinating. Solomon failed to follow the ways of God that he had instructed him. We must do our best to follow the Lord with all our heart. He will help us when we do. Now listen carefully. This is important. There are a lot of places people talk about revivals. And, oh, I, I went here and we were with all these people and this happened and that happened. That's great that that happened. But the Holy Spirit is with us all the time. All the time. So do we need other people for the Holy Spirit to activate himself in us? No. The Holy Spirit, and a revival tells us this, a Holy Spirit acts inside of us and overcomes the human flesh. That becomes very important. We need to remember that and keep that straight in our mind. 1 Kings 7, 11, 7, 13. Then Solomon, he built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Amnon. And he did likewise for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrifices to their God. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice, verse 10, and had commanded him concerning this thing. And he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of your hand or the hand of your son. However, I will not tear it away, the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to you or to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. All right, this takes me to the last point. Solomon's compromise to worship other gods ultimately split the nation in two. Beloved, we may think there are rational reasons to compromise our walk with God. There is not. 
there is absolutely no rational reason to do that. We love the Lord. And we have to exercise what the Holy Spirit tells us when we love the Lord. And I want to tell you something. When we do that, we're in the will of God. And a revival changes our hearts, changes our lives, changes the people. People don't change without the Holy Spirit. A revival changes us. This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Welcome back to the program. Our reading assignment today is 1 Kings chapters 11 through 13, and my specific focus is on 1 Kings chapter 11, in which God raises up adversaries against King Solomon for his great rebellion against the Lord. Now, there's a guy named Hadad, and another named Rezin, and a third guy named Jeroboam. Now, all of them eventually became, became kings, but their stories are really fascinating. Check it out. Despite the fact that God expressly warned King Solomon not to multiply wives, that is precisely what he did. And he did so with great defiance, as the Bible records that he had a staggering 700 wives and 300 concubines. And the result was exactly as God had predicted. His wives turned his heart away after other gods, and his heart was not completely devoted to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Though God chose not to destroy Solomon or to take the kingdom away from him presently, the Lord did raise up strong adversaries against him. One of these adversaries was Hadad the Edomite. Of royal descent, he was forced to flee to Egypt as a little boy during King David's eradication of all Edomite males. When young Hadad arrived in Egypt, he found tremendous favor with the Pharaoh, who not only gave him food and provisions, but also a house and land. And if that wasn't enough, Pharaoh even made him a part of his family by giving him the queen's sister as a wife. When David eventually died, Hadad returned to Edom as its king, where he would continually oppose Solomon. A second enemy God raised up against Solomon was Rezin. Like Hadad, Rezin's revenge would also be motivated by David's exploits. Apparently, while serving as a commander under the king of Zobah, David attacked and defeated Zobah. But Rezin seems to have either escaped from the battle or else fled from the king later, unwilling to submit to imperial rule from Jerusalem. Whatever the case, Rezin became an outlaw and formed and commanded an army of bandits who helped him seize Damascus and become the king of Aram. This became the rise of the Aramean kingdom, which by the end of the 9th century BC became the most powerful nation in the Levant. But it was the final adversary the Lord raised up against the son of David that was the greatest threat, because he was within Solomon's own ranks. A servant of the king, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, was a brave warrior who oversaw one of Solomon's forced labor units. But that all changed when a prophet of God named Ahijah told Jeroboam that the Lord was about to tear the kingdom away from Solomon, or more specifically Solomon's son, and make him the king over ten out of the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And in a scene very reminiscent of King Saul's undoing in 1 Samuel 15, Ahijah tore his garment into twelve pieces and gave ten of those pieces to Jeroboam, as a symbol that God was indeed going to tear the kingdom away from Solomon. Although Solomon tried to thwart the fulfillment of this prophecy by having Jeroboam killed, Jeroboam escaped to Egypt, where he stayed until Solomon died. Sadly, years earlier, Solomon had told King Hiram that he had peace on every side, but now, due to his ongoing disobedience, he found himself totally surrounded by these adversaries. King Rezin of Aram from above, and King Hadad of Edom, and his alliance with Egypt from below, and even Jeroboam, a future king of Israel from within. So, God's response to Solomon's defiance is interesting. He doesn't destroy him, but he does make his life very difficult by raising up powerful enemies against him. Now, I believe God was surrounding and pressing on Solomon with the purpose of bringing him to repentance. And it's my own personal belief that it did eventually bring Solomon back to God. And I believe that's expressed in Solomon's book of Ecclesiastes. Now, are difficulties we face in life always due to sin in our lives or being out of the will of God? No. Sin is one possible reason, but just as Job's friends were dead wrong to believe that his suffering was a result of sin in his life, we also would be wrong to assume that someone is suffering for the same reason. You know, there are lots of different reasons that we could be struggling. Like Job, it could be that we're being tested. Or it could be that we are in harmony with God's will and purpose, and the enemy of our souls is trying to discourage us and destroy us. And it could also be simply that we live in a cursed and fallen world. Now, of course, God didn't create it that way, but man's fall in Eden brought that on all humanity. But the good news is that the current state that we're in isn't forever. Christians will enjoy an eternity with the Lord, free from the problems that we face here in this life. Yeah, that's really interesting, Ryan. And as we focus on uh, the teaching about that, uh, it's important for us to remember that God is speaking even today. And we need to pay attention to the Bible. We do. Because it tells us the truth. Yes. Very good. Corey? All right, well, today I want to focus in on the temple, of course, the temple in Jerusalem, but it will naturally also touch on other temples in the ancient world. We're going to be taking a look at why and how the temple was decorated and arranged in the way that it was. There's great significance in its construction. Take a look. As meeting places for God and men, ancient temples were created to reflect the ideal environment for such an event, the Garden of Eden, also called the Garden of Plenty or Paradise in surrounding cultures. The Jerusalem temple built by King Solomon was no exception. The Bible gives a detailed description of it. First, its location, built just outside the city of David up on the highest point of the hilly territory. Mountains seem to have always been associated with God, holiness, and meetings between man and God. Take, for example, the tradition that the Garden of Eden itself was on a mountain, the building of the artificial mountain that we have in the Tower of Babel incident, and the giving of the Mosaic Law on Mount Sinai. The Temple's Mountain is also biblically associated with Mount Moriah, where generations earlier Abraham had nearly offered Isaac as a sacrifice. It seems that the temple itself was built and decorated to reflect the Garden of Eden. In front of it stood the Bronze Sea Reservoir and the ten bronze water carts decorated with lions and cattle. These likely symbolized the water of creation and the rivers that flowed through Eden to water it. In predictions of the future Temple of God, the prophets all mention a river of life that flows from it. 
Perhaps the lions and the cattle on the carts symbolized prey and predator living peacefully together as in Eden and the future temple. There were also two 25-foot-tall pillars whose capitals were shaped like lilies and were covered in hundreds of pomegranates, perhaps representing the two special trees of Eden. The doors to the temple were made out of wood with gold overlay and carved with cherubim, palm trees, flowers, all garden motifs found in Genesis. The inside floors and walls of the temple were covered with wood paneling and carved with vegetables and flowers, continuing the natural paradise theme. In Solomon's temple, the one lampstand of the tabernacle was replaced by ten lampstands. If these were created in the same fashion, they were decorated to look like stylized almond trees. The back wall of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence, from the rest of the temple, was decorated a bit differently with its cherubim, trees, and flower blossoms. Its door was made out of a special olive wood carved with the same images and covered in gold. The idea of gardens being holy places was widespread in the ancient Near East, and its application was not limited to symbolism, building materials, and carvings. Ancient kings had a habit of collecting trees from conquered or allied nations and planting elaborate gardens in their cities, palaces, and temples. As God is said to have planted the Garden of Eden, kings also took it upon themselves to be creators in their own right. Images of live potted trees being transported strikes a chord with the careful Bible reader. Perhaps a similar practice occurred in the courts of Solomon's temple. So, of course, then the significance of this Garden of Eden decorative element, that the themes that we see running through Solomon's temple, through even the tabernacle, and even to a certain extent the pagan nations around uh, the ancient world, was this concept of God's presence once again communicating, communicating or dwelling with humanity. So this idea that Adam and Eve lost the presence of God, the communication of God, but in, in the Bible we see this being reversed by God's promise. So, you know, God is gradually unveiling his plan of salvation. We see that unfolding in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the tabernacle and then the Temple of Solomon represents this promise of the restoration of the relationship between God and mankind. So we see the temple as a place of meeting between God and man just like how it used to be back in the time of the Garden of Eden. Very, very interesting. Uh, the, the excellent, Corey. Very good. Janice? Well, today I titled my segment, Slow Fade. And I did that because as we take a look at Solomon, the wisest man, and God gifted him with this wisdom, but as he gifted him with this wisdom, he also gave him commands on how to live and how not to live. And over time, Solomon chose to disobey some of these commands of God. And what we see happen in Solomon's life is really a slow fade away from walking in the ways of God as his father David had done. And, and so we see this gradual fading away of of his attention, Solomon's attention, going to his wives and ultimately the gods that they served. And Solomon, in his wisdom, begins to pull away from God and his commands and follow the desires of his foreign wives 
who serve foreign gods. And he begins even to build gods and monuments to these gods so that his wives could sacrifice to these other gods. And I look at our own lives and, and you know, it's easy for us to, to look at the lives of these people in the Bible, which they are real people. They are real lives. When we take a look at that, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, I can't believe that they would make that choice or, or this or that, or I certainly wouldn't have chosen this way. It's easy for us to sit here and say that, but not recognize in our own lives that many times we do slowly fade away. Sometimes it's with our busy schedules. Sometimes it's that we put the needs of our family even before our need to spend time with God in prayer and in the Bible. And I know that things come up in life. I know that, you know, Corey, right now you have a little baby. And and so oftentimes you were just saying last night, every hour Wesley was up. That meant that you were up. And so you're sitting here very tired. And so there are times in life where life does get in. But when your heart is focused on that relationship with God, then you have that dedication. You know that it's something that you need in your life so that you can help others. You need that time with God. Don't slowly fade away. Now that churches are back open again, and if you are able to get to a fellowship again, if you are choosing just to stay home because now you can watch church online and have your coffee and still be in your jammies, That's okay if you're not feeling well, but I need to encourage you today. If that's you, you need to get back into your fellowship. Get back with people. Hear the singing and the worship of God around you and be able to encourage one another in the Lord. Don't don't pull back. Don't slowly fade away. Make sure that your time in the Word is special. Set that time aside as you would. I've talked about it before. Just like if you're going to brush your teeth. I don't want to not brush your teeth. I may have had a couple of busy days and and I've forgotten or I've chosen to just go to bed that night without. But boy, if I did that for too many days, my teeth would be pretty bad or my hair would be pretty awful or my body would be pretty dirty if I didn't shower it off. We have to think that same way. Our relationship with God is so much more important than those things. It's our spiritual. It's our spiritual selves. We need to have that time with God every single day. So don't slowly fade away. Keep that relationship with God number one in your life. We're talking about BibleDiscoveryTV.com. I want to tell you that's our website and you can watch this program there, but we have other programs on there like Beyond the Call is a program that I would encourage you to watch about testimonies of when Jesus Christ became real to people. It's exciting and there's a lot of testimonies on there. We're very, very happy with it. Go there and check it out. Today we pray, Lord, I choose to follow your will. I choose to follow your ways today. Help me, Lord, in Jesus' name. 